Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Pluming, Warden of Cranmer Hall. And in this season of Talking Theology, it's my privilege to bring you some of the most interesting theological thinkers today, exploring the relationship between science and faith. If you enjoy Talking Theology, do subscribe at your favourite podcast provider. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Talking Theo and share on social media. Thank you for listening. Now, on to today's episode. Is artificial intelligence just about robots in the future or technology in the present? What are the tensions between human flourishing and human fallibility in the development of AI? How do different worldviews and value systems affect the way AI is being developed and implemented? How can Christian perspectives on being human shape our approach to new technology? And how do the Beatitudes speak to humans amidst a growth of AI technology? Welcome to this episode of Talking Theology. In today's show, I'll be talking to the Right Reverend Dr. Stephen Croft. Stephen is the Bishop of Oxford. He was a founding member of the UK Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation and has served on the House of Lords Select Committee on Artificial Intelligence. And our question today is, how does the Christian faith help us reimagine human flourishing in a world of artificial intelligence? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Stephen Croft, welcome to Talking Theology. It's lovely to be here, thank you. Stephen, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about your own journey of faith and service and uh, the different roles you've held up to your present one now. Thank you, Philip. Well, um, uh, it's, a, it's a journey of three paths in terms of ministry. I became a Christian in my teens through uh, a small local church in Halifax in, in Yorkshire where I grew up. Uh, I felt called to ministry at an early age, was ordained after training at Cranmer Hall uh, when I was 26, uh, and then have spent 13 years in parish ministry, mainly in Halifax uh, as a vicar, 13 years helping other people do ministry, eight of them as warden of Cranmer Hall, and then five uh, setting up and leading fresh expressions, and almost 13 years now uh, as a bishop, seven years as uh, Bishop of Sheffield, and I'm in my sixth year now as Bishop of Oxford. So it's a kind of uh, very neat division into three parts. In your present role, you found yourself increasingly uh, interested and involved in exploring the theological and social dimensions of artificial intelligence, AI, and wider information technology. Tell us how that interest came about. Uh, through my eldest son. So uh, Anne and I have four children. And uh, uh, Paul, our eldest son, is a, a computer games developer and entrepreneur. And he's done that since university. We used to tell him when he was a teenager that he spent far much, far too much time playing computer games. And uh, it's gone on to be a, a career for him. And uh, he feeds me things to read. And a few years ago, six years ago now, he showed me this book, The Inevitable, uh, by Kevin Kelly. I read it carefully and noticed uh, my eyes were caught by a particular sentence in the opening chapters of the book, 
which basically said uh, the issues raised by technology over the next generation were, were going to be all about what it means to be human. And that really caught my eye because I think the Christian church should have something really important to contribute to a global debate on what it means to be human. And that began my journey. I've sat in the House of Lords since 2013 and uh, made, was able to make more time available when I moved to Oxford and joined first an all-party parliamentary group on artificial intelligence and then from there as a one-year select committee inquiry on AI, uh, which was very comprehensive and a fantastic learning experience, spending an afternoon a week quizzing global experts on, on AI and data ethics. And then from that, uh, joined the government's new Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation as one of its founding directors, which was also really interesting. And that uh, took me into the development of public policy on artificial intelligence. Uh, that came to an end in, in May this year because I picked up a, a new Lords Committee on the Environment and Climate Change. Uh, but I'm still very involved in parliamentary work, particularly at the moment in the development of the online safety bill, which is going through Parliament. Let's go back to first principles, if we can, and just describe the landscape in which this discussion is taking place, the landscape that you've been introduced to since your son gave you that ask, if you like, and you sat in this particular role within the House of Lords. What are we talking about when we talk about artificial intelligence, AI? And just give us a sense about the different ways in which AI is being used across our societies and our world, perhaps in the obvious and the less obvious ways. There are really, I think, three parts to the debate. The first is the exploration of what's called potentially artificial general intelligence. This is a discussion which is largely in the arena of science fiction and speculative philosophy rather than technology. But when I first uh, engaged with the subject, what kept me awake at night when I began to read comments from people like Stephen Hawking and Max Tegmark is uh, uh, robots taking over the world. I watched episodes of Black Earth, which I found fascinating and terrifying. Um, but actually, you pretty soon find out that that kind of technology is may never happen. It's years into the future. Some of its premises are, are kind of dubious philosophically and technically. What then began to keep me awake at night uh, was the second area, which uh, is narrow artificial intelligence and its proliferation. That's a product of increased uh, computing speed and capacity, uh, which enables the crunching of larger and larger quantities of data across very narrow fields. And that holds tremendous potential, mainly for good, but also for breakthrough areas of technology. Its most apparent benefit to humanity will be in the field of medical science, and developments of new treatment, uh, faster automation of scanning, radiography, cancer diagnosis, and the rollout of the vaccine that we've seen uh, over the last couple of years wouldn't have been possible without these AI technologies. And it, it's hugely important. It, it's also being used increasingly in areas of automation, which creates significant questions about the future of work, and especially low-skilled work and we're going to see massive changes uh, across the world over the next two decades there and also 
in decision-making. So AI is currently being used in human resources, processing job applications, banking, where preferences and, and decisions are made by algorithms and computers. It's being used in uh, probationary services and by some social services, making decisions about children in care and so on. So the closer it gets to automated decision-making in partnership with humans or instead of humans, then the more ethical questions it raises. And also it's being used uh, already in the world and will increasingly be used in lethal autonomous weapons systems. So that raises another load of ethical questions. So I suppose uh, most of the uh, debate and concern is around narrow artificial intelligence and its deployment in real-life situations. The third area of debate is around the linked area of social media and the potential for the development of social media for harm as well as for good. There's a whole very current debate around that, which is being pursued in Parliament through the online safety bill, but also has been very public, very much in the public domain in recent weeks through the Facebook uh, whistleblowing scandals uh, and the like. You outlined there, particularly in that second area of narrow AI, a really seismic shift going on uh, in relation to what technology is able to do in the areas around medical science, skilled work, decision making, together with weapons. And you've begun to flag up for us the theological, ethical questions that come as a result. Before we look at those, though, just say, what moment do you think we're in? Is this an unprecedented technological change? And are therefore these unprecedented ethical issues or or, or kind of are there parallels from other huge technological leaps forward that we might just at least locate this discussion in? I think it's largely unprecedented in terms of size and scale because it's global. I think the closest two parallels that are used are often in church circles. People draw uh, the parallel with the invention of printing and the democratization of knowledge, uh, which happened in the 15th centuries and 16th centuries, uh, and the way that changed the life of the church and the life of the world and brought more people into the debate and generated a faster transmission of ideas. Uh, And the other parallel that's used in um, the debates on uh, the future of work and so on is uh, the development of electricity. Really, AI is a parallel technology to electricity in that it doesn't simply affect one sector of society, but it potentially affects the whole of society and all at once as well. So um, that's why people use language like the fourth industrial revolution to describe what's happening uh, at the moment. It's also an unusual uh, technology in that it's not apparent when you're using it. You know when you're using electricity, but you switch the light on and the, the room lights up. None of us quite know when AI is being deployed at the moment in in lots of different ways. And uh, sometimes that surfaces in unfortunate ways, as in the public debate around the A-level results a year ago during COVID, where all of a sudden politicians found it very convenient to blame the algorithm for the A-level results when it was actually the deployment of the algorithm that was the question. And therefore, it raises, doesn't it, the question of Uh, accountability, governance and control, because if it's not possible to see when we're using it, then it's also not possible to see where control, accountability lies. Is that a fair reflection? Absolutely right. 
that's about two issues. One is, is there transparency so that the person engaging with the AI knows that that's happening? And clearly, that's not the case at the moment. We did a little experiment last year when two of my colleagues at the same time on Google searched for Chelsea. And uh, my male colleagues' search results were all about football. And my female colleagues' search results were all about the flower show. And that was because the algorithm already knew who was doing the searching and what kind of things that they looked at. We're being shown things on the basis of algorithms that we don't see and understand. So transparency is an issue. But there's a second issue in that because lots of algorithms develop through techniques of machine learning, they're not simply a program to give set outputs. People use the language of black box algorithms uh, so that even the people who design them can't fully see the criteria by which decisions are being made. And when you come to videos Netflix shows you to watch next, that doesn't matter so much. But when you come to questions of prison sentencing or probation or uh, children being taken into care, it matters hugely. And we need absolute transparency in the algorithms and means of appeal against the decisions as well. So that takes us into the ethical and theological questions that this big data, this narrow AI kind of throws up for us. And perhaps it takes us back to the opening quote from from the book, from the article that your son gave you around the question about what does it mean to be human. Just standing back, looking not particularly perhaps at those individual examples, but looking at uh, kind of the narrow AI in general, what are the big theological issues at stake for you? And what are the resources that you find yourself bringing as a Christian theologian to those broad issues? Undoubtedly, uh, all of the issues flow from uh, an understanding of what it means to be human. So the core theological discipline is Christian anthropology and the study of what it means to be human. And quite often, particularly when I was working with the Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation, we'd bring people in into the room and they'd look around the room and they'd see experts from industry and they'd see people who were good at the technical stuff and people who were good at commercial stuff. And then their eyes would fall on the Anglican bishop sitting in the corner. And you could see the question in their head, what are you doing here? What I would say when they sort of ventured to ask the question out loud was, well, actually, I come from a tradition which dares to believe that an almighty God creator of heaven and earth became a human person. And that profoundly shapes my understanding of what it means to be human and my understanding of how we should treat one another as human beings and the principles that should guide us, because it displays the tremendous potential of humanity the tremendous worth and value of humanity, and also the complexity and mystery of what it means to be human. So you can't read off from that straightforward answers in in how you deploy AI in supermarket checkout systems, but you can develop some pretty important principles. Now, it happens that, broadly speaking, in Europe, we inherit a set of common public values, which I I would say, are certainly compatible with Christianity, and I would also argue are in many ways derived from, over the years, a Christian tradition. The discourse in in ethics and AI in Europe is not about the invention of a new ethic. It's about the application of an existing common set of ethics and values, which are compatible with Christian faith, to a new set of technologies. When you look at the values which are underpinning the development of technology, 
from Silicon Valley, from the West Coast of America. They're a very different set of values, much more libertarian, much more uh, commercially driven, in which the individual isn't valued in, in the same way, or there isn't the same transparency about that. And if you look at the other main center in global affairs, where AI is receiving huge investment in China, AI is serving uh, the interests of a totalitarian state and regime, and a whole different set of ethics apply. So it's important to look at this globally as well as in a European dimension. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just fleshing out what are those Christian distinctives of anthropology that are assumed within Europe, but but perhaps are points of tension within the the West Coast of America or the totalitarian totalitarian regime of China. Just flesh out, what, what is there that's in our Christian heritage that's really valuable, unique and distinctive here? I think it's the value and worth of each human person. Uh, And I think you see the pointing of the Christian issue then in terms of the particular area that you might be investigating and exploring. So uh, I've just uh, uh, submitted some evidence today to the Online Harms Scrutiny Committee in Parliament. And obviously some, by no means all of the online harms being uh, worked against in the legislation, are children and the dignity and rights of the child and of children to childhood emerges from a particular Christian understanding uh, of what it means to be human. Uh, In Europe, that's simply now accepted, in theory at least, uh, as something we should all uh, honour and respect. And actually, to be fair, it would be in uh, the other civilizations we've mentioned as well. But the worth of children, if you go back into pre-Christian times, was not always uh, accepted. You know, I have... uh, six little grandchildren now, and um, they are operating from one and a half years old, uh, iPads and devices. I don't want them to be subject to harm or distortion. I want them to have a digital childhood as well as a a good childhood. What is it about a Christian anthropology that interrogates questions of autonomy and responsibility within this wider debate. I'm just conscious that within wider ethical debates around beginning and end of life, questions of autonomy are absolutely the kind of sharp end of Christian anthropology. Are questions of autonomy and responsibility similarly exposed in in questions around narrow AI? Yes, they are. And they're nuanced a little with reflections on on the human-machine partnership really, or human intelligence partnership. But I think uh, holding to the principle that the person, because of the dignity of the human person, having autonomy over decisions that affect them and having autonomy over decisions which affect others and rights of appeal to a human person is really important. Some of these are very complex. So uh, within the Centre for Data Ethics, we had a very interesting uh, set of conversations around AI in probation and prison sentencing, where my presumption was that the whole process was dehumanized if it was delegated to machines, because you lost the capacity for wisdom to make exceptions. The complexity of human life can't be reduced to a set of numbers and sequences uh, in binary code. The counter argument is that curiously, 
where machines make the decisions on their own, it was argued, the decisions were more accurate in that people offended less. So there's a very nuanced debate needed there, uh, which is preserving of human autonomy and keeping the, the human interaction as part of community, but also benefiting from the accuracy that increased data can give to decision making. You mentioned there the complexity of humanity and the fact that individual human beings cannot be reduced to simply sort of set of data. I'm conscious you're an Old Testament scholar in background. I'm reminded of those words in Psalm 139. It was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. What is it about the complexity of humanity that's worth holding on to from a Christian perspective in this wider debate? People describe it in different ways, and, and there are certainly Christian thinkers on AI who've gone down, who've revived the attempt to find the distinctive about what it means to be human, as indeed as in a part of us which has a soul. I don't find that satisfying in the end, and I do think it is the very complexity of our humanity which is what makes us human, and I don't see, uh, the scientists don't see either, anything in so-called artificial intelligence which is anything like approaching the complexity uh, of a human person. We can certainly see a pathway to autonomous sort of machines, which make certain levels of decision, uh, but nothing like something which is approaching humanity and its complexity. And I also think part of what makes us human is our fallibility and finiteness uh, and the interaction of power and powerlessness that we find and experience with our emotions and our intelligence. So one of my principal sources for biblical sources for anthropology are the Beatitudes of Matthew 5, which I think are a beautiful portrait of Jesus as a human person, poor in spirit and so on, but also a beautiful idealised portrait of what it means to live a human life well. And that will involve suffering and fallibility and starting again and difficulty as well as doing well in things. It's sometimes been seen that Christian contributions to ethical debates have largely been about stopping or limiting new technological development. I wonder why is that for you a misrepresentation of the contribution that theological reflection and ethical discussion can have to this debate? And how might we therefore articulate uh, the good news of Jesus Christ as this area is explored alongside other areas of our modern society. There was a conference in the Vatican last year on um, AI for good and for human flourishing, which was really powerful. And we had a very good presentation from a, a European doctor, I think from Spain, who, who basically said the, the good and the potential in these technologies is so powerful that it would actually be wrong and sinful not to develop it to its potential. So in terms of the good the technology can do, uh, I think there's a very strong uh, argument. I think in terms of what these technologies give to our ability to communicate, given that the Christian faith is about uh, the communication of the love of God uh, to the whole of humanity, I think there are very powerful tools here that we can use. And I think there are very good things in terms of being able to connect people together and give a voice to people who have no voice, which resonate very strongly with some parts of the prophetic tradition. So I think there are lots of good things, but quite often the advocates of new technology are also somewhat blind to the fallibility of humanity. 
there is a shadow side. So one of, one of the very best books on AI is by Brad Smith, president of Microsoft, uh, who captures the whole argument of the book in the title, which is Tools or Weapons. And uh, it's AI for the good of humanity and not for harm. It can feel like this debate is one that not, we're not conscious of in our daily lives, because as you said earlier, AI is something that's happening behind the scenes. But I wonder, as we become more informed about this, and as we've listened to your exploration of it today, what advice or encouragement would you give to Christians in their kind of everyday ethics when it comes to AI and engaging with big data and how they might engage from the perspective of faith themselves? I think it's really essential to be informed and to be informed citizens to reflect very carefully on, on how this is impacting uh, daily lives. I, I, I doubt there's a person here on the planet, really, who, who's immune from uh, addiction to the bad effects of technology and particularly be aware of the impact technology can have on, on children uh, and young people. So there is a, as it were, preventative responsibility. I think we're living through such a period of change at the moment. Uh, clearly, the climate and environmental emergencies are driving quite a lot of that, as are the wealth inequalities and COVID. But I would put alongside those three the changes in new technology, which are going to become more rapid uh, over the next decade. The world of work is going to change significantly. The next industries to be affected, I think, will be warehousing and call centres, which uh, were significant providers of work across my former diocese of Sheffield. And then with self-driving vehicles, the transport industry will change in the next 15 to 20 years. So I think as Christians, we need to be aware of these changes happening. We need to be able to enter into the debate, no matter what area of life you're in, law, human resources, education, it's all being affected by technology. And we need to be aware that some of the actors in these debates are not motivated by altruism, but often motivated by profit. And in particular, the mining of data for profit. One of the seminal books of last year was Shoshana Zuboff's Surveillance Capitalism, which names and exposes a whole way of making profit out of intrusive tracking of people's data and the utilisation of that for commercial purposes. So I think in general, we need a much bigger awareness. You mentioned the challenges facing us today and the environmental crisis being one of them and your own work in that area. I wonder, although today we've been thinking particularly about AI, are there ways in which new technology contributes um, to the future uh, of resolving the environmental crisis? And what's your perspective on the possibilities as well as the challenges there? I think there are lots of ways in which technology is already contributing. I mean, the whole shift to renewable energy uh, has happened because of developments in science and technology is smarter devices that we're using will all help. And the big goals of carbon capture uh, and uh, uh, different energy and power sources for the future. Uh, all of which will use massive data and computing uh, resources. But the climate and environmental crisis is so complex that it won't be solved by any one route alone. And there is no magic formula. And changes in behaviour and changes in public policy and individual engagement and conversion will all be needed in that journey. So technology is certainly part of the solution, but it won't do it on its own. 
You spoke earlier about the journey that you've gone on yourself in terms of this has been, if I can put it like this, an education for you in terms of the various select committees you've sat on and the contributions that you found yourself making. I wonder, though, if I could kind of take you back to your own journey of faith and ask you how your learning, your exploration on AI has impacted your own faith, your own worship and your own prayer, as well as the ministry that you hold. It's given me a lot more to worry about, um, you know, and I really do worry about it and get angry about it. Over the last two weeks, I've been reading and catching up on the evidence on online harms, discovering that, you know, there are people who send videos of flashing lights to people they know have epilepsy to induce epileptic fits deliberately on social media, that there are people who scam the elderly out of their savings. It's absolutely horrific the stuff that's happening. I think a lot of that fuels both anxiety and anger and a determination to do something about it and to raise the issues more broadly. I think the second strand is the more you look at the significant progress humanity has made in robotics and machine intelligence, the more you look back at humanity and in the words of Psalm 139 that you quoted, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's nothing, anything close to what it means to be human emerging from all of this technology. And we're amazing. So to be filled with wonder is extraordinary. It also awakens me to the particular times in which we live and the particular generation in which we live. Within the next 10 years, there will be significant shifts in our approach to the environment, our approach to technology, which are likely to define the future. So that just feels to me to be an enormously important time for the sake of future generations. So that whole sense in Christian theology of a kairos and crisis time, this is a time for the church to wake up and to engage and to speak up. Stephen Croft, thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology. Thank you. Very good to be with you. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall within St. John's College, Durham University. This series of Talking Theology on the relationship between science and faith is being brought to you in partnership with the project Equipping Christian Leaders in an Age of Science. For more information about Cranmer Hall, please visit cranmerhall.com.